Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to today's guest, Kevin Williams. How are you, Kevin? Great. How are you doing, Ian? Going very well. All the way from uh, Ontario, Ontario, Canada. Always a pleasure speaking to people from other parts of the world. Now, you've got the Legendary Dads podcast. Tell me a little bit about that. That's really exciting. Yeah, that's something we just started a couple of months back and comes out of just, I guess, the journey that I've been on. Um, it's kind of like the, the, yeah, I guess the results of just this journey I've been on in terms of my fatherhood and who I am as a man and all the exploring into that. And so it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as an opportunity to really share more with other men, uh, dads, especially, of course, because um, that's where I'm coming from. Um, yeah, see how we can become the best that we can be and leave uh, the best that we have for our kids. Love that. Uh, we both went graduated from uh, working with the good people at Amplify You, uh, Michelle's business there. So it's always a pleasure connecting with other people who are like-minded and, and working with good people. Yeah. So before we jumped on, we were talking about a number of different areas for you and the specifically you know, we talk about grief in here and and how you've had to overcome different moments. And, and you mentioned a few different ones. And I wanted to start with with something that is prevalent for a lot of men and, and a lot of dads. So this will be good for your audience as well. And that you said you, you had a bout of depression after you, your first daughter was born. Yeah. Do you, like... Did that suddenly? Did that spring up suddenly, or that was a gradual thing? Like, like how did that all unfold for you? Um, it was pretty sudden, actually, and it's it's hard to say exactly what triggered it. Um, I had well, I had discovered a little while before my my doctor had actually put me on some medication around the time that I met my wife. Um, it wasn't a full on depression that I'd had before, but it was he called it a dysthymia, I guess, sort of a low-grade, almost depression, but it's something I, I'd lived with and never really realized. Hmm. Um, so I was actually in kind of the best years and best state of mind that I'd been in when I met my wife. Um, then uh, we moved, our daughter was born, and we moved to Toronto for a new job. I was working as a youth pastor. Um, if you can picture me uh, in downtown or in Toronto in the middle of Jewish neighborhood, as a youth pastor in a Chinese Anglican church. <laughs> <laughs> like that was just the strangest kind of combination of things. I didn't have the long beard and, and 
and crazy long hair at that point. Uh, but still, I, I'm, I was just a very expressive guy, and it was it was an interesting match with the church that didn't didn't last more than a couple of years. But yeah, I, it was. Yeah, we moved into Toronto, and it, it just hit me one day, uh, and I was out. I was done. Um, and it was uh, my wife who was able to be really persistent in finding me a psychiatrist, actually, who was willing to work with me. Uh, most of them don't around here. They just prescribe medication. But he was willing to do the psychotherapy with me and walk me through that journey, um, which was quite an interesting thing. <laughs> do you do you look back at that time and and even though the there were certain struggles there, do you look at that time as a real powerful moment because suddenly you're you're able to work through different things? You know, yeah, at this point, especially when I look back on those experiences, um, and I've, I guess I've always done this to a certain extent, I I very quickly look at what what can I get out of this? So, I mean, it, yeah, for, what was it, 10, 10 months, I think I was off work. Um, it was, it was just really difficult. And it, I think one of the most helpful things that I began to recognize during the during that time was this strange um, ability of humans to to know what's wrong to know how to fix it and not be able to make yourself do it like there was it was it was like living outside of myself where I'm constantly very aware of all of this um, I realized what I was struggling with and I understood things that would help like going for walks and talking to friends, but nothing and nobody could get me off my butt um, and, and move. So, but just being aware of that psychology was really uh, eye opening and empowering later. <laughs> I guess now when I, when I talk with other people, I understand what that, the depth of this, that reality and I've mm. used that for myself to begin to be more aware of what's going on in my head and how I'm sometimes even just hiding things from myself, which is another amazing human trait. <laughs> it is. And it's actually something that, that guests often talk about is like, well, I had an awareness, but then I couldn't couldn't actually take the action. And that's something that I experienced as well. It's like when, when my dad passed, I'm like, okay cool well, I want my life to be different but then I spent probably six years sort of running around in circles or on the treadmill or whatever you know the hamster wheel whatever it is yeah so so what did you learn specific for you that helped you to be able to move forward in those times to actually start being able to take that action oh you know I think the thing that really got me through that was just the steady support of others. Um, I honestly don't remember sort of a specific thing. I know with the psychiatrist, we were, we were talking about different, um, different realities in, in terms of what's happening in my circumstances and how I'm thinking about it. Um, and I, and I think that, 
as far as I remember of that, it was it was a lot of time just uh, repositioning and recognizing the stress of the job that I'd walked into um, because I'm so different. And um, the, okay, this is so. This is what the people at the church told me. The the Chinese Anglican Church. What they were saying to me is part of the struggle, and the, the pastor that was in charge was saying part of the struggle is that I'm a very expressive um, Canadian, white Canadian, and uh, and he says the Chinese two things they don't like generally speaking. This is a generalization. They don't. They're not as expressive emotionally. They're much more reserved and controlled, and uh, quite a wide uh, thing was is that, that he said they don't want to face uh, mental illness. So those are his words. Um, so nobody sent yeah. any hate mail. Um, <laughs> and now I had a lot of support from the church as well. There were a lot of people there that, that were very kind and supportive. Um, but we were different from the beginning. And then when we add on to that, just the circumstance, they, they were first-generation Canadian-born kids that I was working with. And so they had parental struggles there. So I... I think that I really recognized that I would just walked into a tense situation and it was a lot of pressure on me, which wasn't vocalized yet, but I'm a very, I'm very sensitive to other people's feelings and, and to what's going on on a, on a subconscious level. And so, um, I think that that was really hitting me and, and my, my fight flight freeze response typically is freeze. That's, that's most common one for me. And so that's, I think part of why the depression was, was a bit of a shutdown um, and a bit of processing of of griefs and losses and, and struggles from the past. Um, you know, when we were kids, when I was 12, um, you know, when we were, I was 12, we moved from Canada to South Africa and I did all my high school years there, yeah, right. which was a fascinating journey. I'd love we talk about it another time, but... <laughs> um, interesting timing of that was that the year that I was 11 and turned 12, I switched in ice hockey, which is a big thing for most young boys here, um, to from defense to going into net. So I played goalie and I ace, I killed it. I was like, I had five shutouts in my, in my rookie year in net. I was MVP award. It was amazing. I yeah, found wow. my place. It was like, yeah. it just, it was like, Beautiful. And then we moved to South Africa where it's like I, there was apparently ice hockey, but it was it was not something you want to be involved in and, and very, very rare. So, yeah. um, so I lost that. Um, and I, I never really processed that, I think, until way later. And I kind of thought about it and, you know, thought, oh, I probably would have made NHL. And uh, but. Yeah, that was just one of those things where I tend to accept what is. And so I think as a kid, when we moved, we made that move. It was, you know, also I lost all my friends. I had to start all over again. Um, and I guess part of my challenge is that, that I do tend to just first accept what is and go with it. The downside of that is it means that I'm not processing it. I'm not going shit, that hurts. I don't like that. I don't want it. I don't want this. I, I just kind of, it's almost like rolling over, I guess. I'm going, well, okay, well, that's what we got to do. So yeah, here we go. Um, 
and I'm really only, I'll be honest with you, I'm really only just putting this together that clearly right now as I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, cool. that's cool. Um, so, sorry. I think uh, uh, a lot of men will relate to that because that's that's often the experience is sometimes in those early or middle teens just, just making a decision to, to, to sort of shut everything down, whether consciously or unconsciously. Um, but you're you're having that conscious awareness, then it's uh, it allows you then to to make sense of it as you go, even if some of it's just as you go now. Yeah, and I, that's and I think that's part of what came out of that initial depressive crash uh, was yeah, really beginning to recognize some of the depth of that. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a really great thing to highlight because. Uh, like you said, oh, maybe we can talk about that that moving at another time. But I think just what you summed up there is like that's what a lot of people have experienced, whether it's by being forced to move or an opportunity that that ended or just any experience where we we don't like we were separated from friends or disconnected. I think everyone's had some sort of experience like that when we go through those school years where you know the different people that we hang around with tends to evolve right so even if yeah. we're choosing to hang out with different people there's still a sense of loss from that so yeah go on. yeah and i don't and, and as i say, i don't think i processed that and it's it was i always find it interesting that in that in that move to south africa like when we we got there <laughs> i always remember so i went to an all-boys school first for just a few months at the end of their school year and hmm. i would ride my bike in and they had these big cages where we would lock our bikes because it wasn't safe to leave them out. So I remember being in that bike lock cage, putting my bike in its place and locking it up. And kids would come to the outside of the cage and they would they would recognize me as the new kid from Canada who had an accent. And so they'd just say to me things like, speak, speak. <laughs> like literally, they, just, they were just telling me to speak like I'm an animal in a zoo. And it was like, oh, and I was never great at making friends, but somehow I always had one or two really close friends. Yeah, cool. And yet, and yet it was a long time before I really felt like I was someone that people liked and would want to be with, um, or that I wanted to put myself out to people. Um, and experiences like that one in the, in the schoolyard, um, I think contributed to that. But I seem, I seem to have underestimated and discounted, I guess, the the positives and the good relationships to to some extent. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think so often through life we do that, right? We look at all the all the bad. It's just a, it tends to be a natural reaction. What what I'm what I'm drawn to is when when you like if we're looking through that lens of the the legendary dads, when when the children start going to school and then suddenly there are other parents and you're kind of going through a changing of the sort of people that you're gravitating towards anyway, because you, you tend to gravitate towards people who have got children the same age. How were you then able to to navigate that as an adult? What 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 skills through all your growth did you have in place that allowed you to to make that transition easier into that community? I didn't do well at that, actually. Um, okay. My my wife does she knows half the town we live in a town of, well now it's about forty thousand, i think and it's the kids and i always joke yeah mom knows that i mean goodness some guy stole something from our property and he got busted by the cops and then the cop that brings the stuff back is 
the daughter or the son of one of my wife's uh, elementary school teachers. <laughs> it's just like, um, so, but it's interesting because for me, I've still until, until recently, especially been quite shut, shut off and guarded. And so where we were meeting people at school, um, my wife is just, just jump in and, and get to know them and make all these friends. And I was always, you know, these aren't my friends. Um, these are the, the parents of kids and whatever. Mm. Um, and it, I was still very guarded in that. Um, and it's only been uh, more recently that I've started to expose myself again, as it were, and be vulnerable again to to reaching out and beginning to say, oh, no, these, why am I, why don't I see these people as friends? They're my, my kids' friends' parents. Um, and beginning to accept their friends uh, into my life, as it were, into my heart as, as people that I know and, and friends on a level. Um, and then, and, and embracing that potential with their, with their parents. And that was, oh, I mean, and that really has come through the coaching that I've been through, honestly. It's um, especially the, the last couple of coaches that I've been working with um, who have, have really helped me to um, – hmm. it's hard to even pinpoint one specific thing, but but recognizing the value and just being more aware of what I was doing, I guess, in terms of being closed off. Um, Hmm. I just wasn't really aware of it. And I suppose it was just so familiar. Uh, I just thought, well, that's, you know, that's the way it is. That's me and whatever. Um, my wife likes talking to everybody and that's fine. Um, but then I, you know, and I thought back, uh, you know, the, the time when I met my wife and I had just started taking the medication and so on, I was not like that. I was actually very open and essentially everybody I met was just another friend that I hadn't met yet. Um, yeah. And there were times when my, I went to my sister's place when she was in university. And sometimes I was the life of the party, which you know, people who have known me for the last, you know, 15 years or, or 20 years up till recently would have thought, mm, no, don't buy that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of rec going back and recognizing, well, and this was part of the the gift, as it were, or I don't know if I like to put it that way, but part one benefit I pulled out of this healing journey from the recent years was that I've had the opportunity to just be slow and still in life and really reflect back on all of this stuff, what we've been talking about and so much more, and kind of go, okay, well, who am I really? Like if I look back from like even childhood, like early elementary school i was i would come home from school every day with a new joke to tell the family yeah and i was very open and trusting and fun loving and creative and you know trust first ask questions later and things like that and and recognizing that you know i haven't been like that for a long time and i want to be like that because a that's who i am and b that's just more fun than what i was doing <laughs> So. Yeah. And I know that uh, 
part of the catalyst for a lot of this change was around, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the uh, the car accident you had not not so long ago. So yeah, could you tell us a little bit about uh, without going into into the details, but like who was affected and and how that impacted your life? Uh, all of us were. So the really brief version of the the collision itself, we were at the drive-in movie theater, which we used to do regularly. I mean, we still have done it, but um, so it's one fifteen in the morning. We're leaving after watching the two movies and just pulled out onto the country road. Uh, some guy was high on methamphetamines and came across the road and hit us head on. Um, I, I had enough uh, wherewithal to just start turning towards the ditch, which apparently saved us because of the angle of the vehicle. We, we actually flipped over him and rolled over. So all wow. six of us, my wife and I and the, and the four kids were all in the vehicle. And it was quite interesting to hear the stories and to see the difference of what we remember and what we've experienced from it. But, I mean, that absolutely has created a defining moment, as it were, for for all of us. Hmm. Um, can, can I just jump in there, if, yeah. if I may? Because I want to hear more about that, but I'm just drawn to something that you said. Okay, so you've worked in these roles where you've been uh, doing, uh, you've been a pastor, um, and and I was going to ask you about faith, but do you, with those stories where you said all that different experience, is there is there part of you that kind of feels like you are protected through that? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a weird thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I, I have been, I mean, I was raised uh, as a Christian and and then I went through a period of time where I kind of walked away from it. I didn't say God wasn't real, but I walked away from living out the faith and um, and went and, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll kind of thing. Um, and into my early 20s around that time. And then, and then I came back to it, but I came back to it with open eyes and said, okay, well, what do I believe? And where am I going with this? So it wasn't just what I was told. I was exploring it for myself. So, yeah, I my faith in God has had a lot to do with how I responded to to pretty much everything sooner or later. Um, and the, I mean, the officer, the chief officer, like the lead inspector on that case, said he was shocked that none of us were dead. Um he said that's that's so so rare in a, at yeah, a collision wow. of that magnitude that nobody was killed he was really surprised um so yeah i mean that adds a bit to that and yeah i don't know if you want to go into all that but you know your your faith yeah i, I would i would love to keep going it, i'm not sure what you know people will say well if god was protecting you why were you even in the collision um well, you know what? I, I'm to me. I think stuff happens in life. Uh, yeah. That I compare. I liken it a lot to the family relationship, right? We allow our kids to experience negative stuff um, because we know it's not going to necessarily ruin them or kill them or you know, and end their life. We'll let them experience negative things. In fact, they will fight against us on things 
that we know it's good for them or we know that it's bad for them. So we're keeping them out of it. And they're like, they don't get it. They're just like, I don't see why you're just being mean. Like literally that's what kids will say sometimes. Right. Like, yeah. No, actually I'm loving you <laughs> and being very kind. You just can't see that. Yeah. So I take that perspective a lot in life and I say, okay, so the collision happened. We all survived and we have all been learning and growing so much through that. And, and one of the things that my wife and I said, I think she brought it up first, quite early in the healing process, like in the first couple of months, I think she said, when we were sitting talking together, she said, this is a moment that will either tear us apart as a family or pull us together tight. Yeah. Wow. And so there we made a conscious choice Said, well, we're going to do everything we can to make this a bonding and growing experience. Uh, that mm. doesn't tear us apart. So that was part of a conscious decision that we've maintained through the healing process. Yeah, um, powerful. I, just what you said there around, well, like why didn't God protect you from the accident altogether? Uh, again, if you believe in a God or the universe or an energy or whatever it is, it's like life will kind of give us what we need and and what if the accident was protecting us from something else another road we were going down because if you think about the transformation you've been through afterwards well yes sometimes if we didn't hear the first uh three four five messages then the message should come stronger until we pay attention right yeah that's true and i mean look there's no question especially for all six of us to be in the same collision like the absolute chaos of the last six years yeah oh has been brutal i mean it's bad enough if one person is in a collision or going through some major trauma and the rest of the family are kind of processing and adjusting but when all six of you are dealing with all different levels of injury from you know brain injury and ptsd to physical injuries to just the emotional losses and things um i mean kids upset because their favorite they were wearing their favorite sweater and it got cut off when they were put in the ambulance, mm. <laughs> it's like yeah, the, the right. things that kind of now they go, oh, well, yeah, okay, it was a sweater. But at the time, you know, the, yeah. our, our youngest was five. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, that's a big deal. Yeah. So, but oh, also as you're, as you're alluding to, from my perspective, one of the things that this did is what I just mentioned a moment ago about it's created this time for me because of the insurance um, money and so on. It's created this opportunity for me where I don't have to work. Well, I couldn't work, um, but we had financial support through the insurance. So I'm able to take some time and just go, okay, who am I? Where am I coming from and where am I going? And, and how do I want this to look? That's been a huge gift. Um, mm -hmm. Although I wouldn't choose to go this route. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that is something great that we can take out of it. Absolutely. And and rarely do we get to choose the route, right? Like even if we have these plans, life tends to take us in a way that's going to work better, even if it doesn't feel like it. Um, yeah. I, I kind of jumped in when you were talking about the different experience for the six of you. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that, how, how it's funny the things that you remember through that accident. So what were some of the, the surprising uh, things or moments or images or feelings that, that each one of you had? Well, my dad told me afterwards that in the hospital, uh, we all went to the same hospital, fortunately, which doesn't necessarily always happen, but um, 
He said Hunter was talking about it like they, we were on a roller coaster. Hunter was five. He, said, he was describing it like we were went on some kind of roller coaster ride, and it was all fun, and um, and because he wasn't physically hurt at all. Yeah, wow. Um, and he was in the seat behind me when I was driving, and and now he always sits in the seat behind me, which interesting. is interesting. Yeah, yeah. And he's aware of that. Yeah. So I don't make an issue. I was like, okay, that's cool. If that's where you feel good. Yeah. Um, our the next oldest. <clears throat> she remembers as the vehicle was rolling, the she saw the popcorn, leftover popcorn from her bag was floating in front of her, moving faster. So, yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, then later on, the two oldest girls were in a conversation, and the one was physically injured, and in, she was in the front as well, and was more physically injured and the, and the, the oldest was not. Um, and the oldest was saying some, some comment about how, you know, the collision wasn't all that bad or whatever. And her younger sister looked at her like, what the hell are you talking about? What? Are you kidding yeah. me? My face yeah. was smashed. My arm was broken. Are you? And so it's just, again, it's developing that awareness as, as we share the stories and perspectives. Um, it's little things like that just build such an awareness um, of other people and different perspectives. Um, I took the brunt of the physical injuries. Um, pretty much my whole left side was broken. Um, Whoa. My wife got the worst of the brain injury. Um, and then the, the three kids that were in the back seat didn't really have any physical injuries, but some had some, uh, you know, concussion, uh, mm -hmm. brain injury, and and it's all to varying degrees. Um, and you know, I've been thinking lately. One of the things that is kind of sad to me, and I it, I suppose it seems silly, but I, you know, when I think about <laughs> processing grief, um, my our youngest Hunter was five, right? It, for some reason, it makes me kind of sad that he doesn't remember anything before the collision. His whole life begins, in his mind, his life begins with a collision and the, and the healing of that. And yeah, he, I mean, he's he's not, he doesn't seem traumatized by it. He, um, but that's his perspective, and I and I, something in me doesn't like that. <laughs> it's like, mm. But but I mean, that's kind of normal. Like most of us forget what happened before age five anyway. So yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I was going to actually ask you about that. Um, the guilt that comes through grief, even if it's not our fault, right? Oh. Like even if there's nothing that we could have done, except we still play out in their heads. What if, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? So, so how much does that play out for you? I can tell by the, the sinking back in the chair that perhaps you have uh, grappled with this a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that first hit in the hospital. Um, now, I was, I was knocked out. So I only have a couple of brief moments where my eyes opened when in the vehicle and on the way to the hospital, I think, three, three times 
my eyes opened and I was briefly aware of something going on. Um, so I didn't remember that really. Um, but waking up in the hospital, the first thing was I knew that we were in a collision and, and nobody was around me. Like there was nurses, but at first there's nobody there. I'm in a recovery, um, in a special recovery room, uh, cause the extent of my damages and I'm like, what, what did I do? Like, was that me or, or what happened? <laughs> How did, yeah, I'm like, wow. I'm flooded with this worry that I did something wrong. And, um, and as the story came out, okay, well, well that wasn't my fault. And, um, but as stories came out, it was, it's really interesting because, um, my, my wife said, so she was amazing. And she immediately was, um, you know, checking on everybody, making sure everyone could speak or heard voices. And yet she, when she turned to me, she saw me hanging lifeless from the, from my seatbelt, uh, because I was unconscious, but that's not what went through her head, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, and in fact, when they radioed in, they said that there was one dead and, and five survivors, but it chills. yeah. Um, sorry, I shouldn't go too. No, uh, no, this is, this is I don't want to get people wrapped up in the, in the, trauma of this but um so the thing was she said so then she starts released she released her seat belt and then she released the daughter that was between us um and then she released my seat belt and i landed on top of my daughter and so they had trouble getting her out and i couldn't do anything i was unconscious but the weird thing was that they said i told them i couldn't move wow and i'm like I, no, no, I, I didn't. I was that wasn't. I was unconscious. There's no way I did that and because what that triggered in me. And it took me months, if not more than a year, to to grapple with this. That felt awful. Like I felt like if I was telling them I couldn't move, that means I was conscious, and I'm laying on top of my daughter, who's got a, a broken face and a broken arm, and and she can't get out because I'm laying on top of her and won't move. How can I, how can I claim innocence when I'm apparently we do this yeah, and right. I still struggle with it a bit, but the psychiatrists and, or psychologists I've been working with say we can do that when we are unconscious, we can actually communicate with each other, which is again, one of these Fascinating. bizarre human things. Yeah. yeah. So they've, they've tried to reassure me that, I was unconscious and yet I was letting them know that I couldn't help or do anything. Yeah. I, and it, just very okay. odd. But the, the guilt of that weighed on me for a few years, mm. uh, trying to process that and, and grapple with that. Um, yeah. I, can, well, yeah. I can't imagine what that would be like, but I can imagine the, the, the grappling part. Um, I'm always the believer that well, it's it's there for a reason. So maybe there was a like reason for your daughter's safety that, that you were on her for for who knows why, right? Like like the the, the amazing yeah. human like maybe at the unconscious level that that said um, I can't move was also like she needed to be stabilized for a time. Like we we just don't know, right? But it's like I just yeah. I, I love to come to a a, a, a realization or a a thought that well maybe that's just what was meant to happen 
for whatever reason and, and we don't always find out at the time. Uh, how did you deal with the guilt? Because what I know, like you said, oh, I'm not sure if when you, when you have the trauma. Like, no, no, this is great to talk about it because this this concept of guilt is something that really people struggle with and sometimes for a long time. Like I've had that conversation. So when my dad passed, we had to make the decision that, okay, there's nothing they can do, which they said to us, but you still have to make the decision but you still grapple with that. Well, what if there was like, should we have actually done this and that? And, yeah. and it's, oh, yeah. and it's like, you, you still need to be able to work through it. So, so what was the process that you were taken through and, and what really worked and helped you to, to move past that guilt? Um, two things. One is defining words and feelings and emotions and circumstances. Definitions yeah. are important to me. And I think they're very helpful in general. Uh, the other thing was, my psychologist walking me through and and encouraging me to accept this idea that yes, I was unconscious and yes, my mind was able to communicate. So that truth I hold on to. Yeah. Um, the other thing is recognizing what guilt is and what condemnation is um, and grief and sorrows and things. So guilt um, we think of guilt as a, as a feeling. I, I think of guilt as a reality. So if I am speeding on the highway, I get busted. Was I guilty? Yeah, I did it. I'm guilty of doing it. Do I feel like some immoral whatever? No, if I was doing 10 over or something, I was like, okay, busted. Yeah, I'm guilty of yeah. that. So that's factual. I was guilty. How I feel about that and getting busted by, I might be angry or I might be, oh, damn it. Why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. Now you've wasted time and money and blah, blah. Yeah. Those feelings and stories that I tell myself are different. So in terms of, you know, the specifics where I was kind of, I had fallen on top of my daughter. I don't even know if guilty applies, but yes, I was I, I was incapacitated and on top of her, which which kept it, made it difficult to get her out. That's a reality. Did I have any blame? Was there any blame on me in that? No. Was there anything I could have done about it? No. Uh, yeah. Do I feel? I feel I felt bad for her um, that she had to deal with that. But I spoke with her and and at one point about it, and I said I just like I feel. Like, do you remember that? Do you, does that bother you in any way? Or how are you? How are you? She said she doesn't even specifically remember that, hmm. um, and certainly had no feelings about it towards me in terms of being upset with me or anything, uh, which helped as well. So, having an open and honest conversation about that helped me as well. Um, and then it was just really a matter of of repeating these things and learning to to say, okay, well, what my psychologist is telling me, I trust it to be true. So I'm going to hold on to that. And it's going to keep repeating that truth. I was unconscious. It doesn't seem to make sense, but, um, and so, and okay, she wasn't hurt by it emotionally. So that's okay. Um, was there anything I could do? Absolutely not. I was completely in the clear of that. Any, any blame or, or guilt, really, I suppose. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so walk that that's something that really helps me process those kinds of difficult emotions and circumstances uh, for sure being very clear on on the words i'm using and how i name what i'm going through and what i'm doing about it uh, can be very helpful for sure yeah i love that uh and the bit that sort of stands out for me is the importance of having that place to externally process what's gone on so that they can give you clarity on exactly what the circumstances are instead of being caught in that loop of creating all this story and meaning that's not actually there oh yeah i mean my wife and i have talked a lot about and we do this with our kids storytelling oh man that's that's I was going to say it's the death of us all, but it's also the life of us all. <laughs> yeah, we're good at it, aren't we? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, the storytelling can absolutely ruin us. Um, but on the other hand, that storytelling is also what we use to build a better future. Yeah, um, it, it also saves us, like, which, is, which is why I love these conversations, because I know someone listening to this right now will just be like, oh, man, I'm so thankful I heard this message. Yeah, well, I hope so, because, I mean, it's other people's stories that have helped me. And so, you know, and honestly, I used to, (laughs) I used to kind of, what's the word? I was critical of people who would always tell their, tell their story and, and go through their, their, their story, whatever their story was. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, whatever. Uh, Just because you went through something doesn't mean you have to tell everybody about it. (laughs) <laughs> and then I realized, well, but I really want to tell people about this and I want to change things. And I, and I experience, we experience things with our legal system and our insurance system and the police systems. And I'm like, these are messed up, man. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed here. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I want to get involved when we're through that. I want to get involved in fixing this stuff that, you know, like the you know, mothers against drunk driving. And, and I don't know if that's a, or a worldwide thing now, but there was a movement in North America uh, some time back and it's like because some woman lost her child she gets all up in arms and and they start creating this movement which is fantastic um, to stop or reduce and at least change the social narrative on yeah. driving drunk yeah um, so yeah so me telling my story now i see that very differently i know look not everybody's going to hear my story and go oh wow some are like they won't relate whether yeah, of because of the way I look or it's because of the circumstances of my story, I don't know. But for those that do relate, here it is. And I really, really want people to, to benefit from that and learn from it. So that's okay. why I like to share um, inappropriate contexts. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I like that. Thankfully, in this medium, most people won't be, get to see you, so they're not making prejudgment based on how you look, right? <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, I, what are you saying about my looks? <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> no, but it's like it, it's like uh, we do tend to have that lens of, oh, that sounds like this sort of person. And how many times have we seen someone that we've been listening to and gone, man, I was not expecting that at all. And yeah. it's just it's such a great reminder to, to just like, no, it just, it just is what it is. The, yeah. the, the most powerful part of that is what you said about the storytelling. And, and to me, it's like we, we get our own healing through telling our story from listening, which I'm sure you've experienced when you've been interviewing people on your pod as well. Yeah. It's the audience as well. Like 
it's whether whether they've been through a car accident or they've been through any sort of grief where they've had those moments of grief it's the the being able to vocalize or externally process in another way by journaling or something yep. just to get that clarity in your head so that you don't have to waste any more time energy or money on things that can be moved on from yeah and those are some interesting points too because I think all of what you just said has been a part of my journey. So writing, there are times, I don't do it consistently, but there are times where I journal and I write stuff and I just write whatever. And there, and the telling of the story. So um, I've given live talks, keynote speeches, talking about different things in this journey. And all of it helps with the processing and clarifying. And even like, as I said earlier, like just talking with you, I'm like, oh, wow. Stuff's coming together just as I'm telling you, like now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are all all part of it. You know, the other thing that I was thinking about is is that in terms of grief specifically, I think it's something. I'm glad you're doing this because it, I think it's something that we underestimate, like I did. And and there's a lot of little griefs in life that yeah. we overlook, and that's that's some of what I think built up in my life that um, kind of brought maybe that, that depressive episode. But, um, you know, I, I grieve over the little things that my kids haven't been able to do during the last few years. I, yeah. I grieve over um, my example um, because of this, the stress and the trauma and all the things I'm learning about myself and life. I haven't, always been the dad well a lot of times i'm not the dad that i wished i was or that i thought i might be or um and so i have to i i try to grieve that and go okay yeah i don't i'm not happy about that and that's a that's a lost dream i guess if you will or a lost aspiration that that you know didn't come about and um and to just kind of go and walk through that again so, okay so what what about that you know and it's walk through a similar process that i described before what is it that i'm really feeling and what is the actual loss and um what can i do about it and was it my fault am i guilty am i you know do i deserve to be condemned <laughs> what are yeah. the so even though that's some of it's very little stuff i try not to let little things go but i also try not to make them big things just, okay you know what yeah that's that's sad um and move kind of work through and move on yeah you raise a great point because I'm, I'm i'm a big believer and it's a lot of what i talk about is those smaller moments of grief that can have the biggest impact the, the biggest stuff we tend to get support we tend to talk about it we tend to to go through a journey around it but the the smaller things like every time we grow there's a mini death and there's a mini grieving process and yeah. and it's important for us to process because those little things as they add up like you said don't let them turn to big things well if we leave all the little things unresolved then we it's like a bank right it, it, it yeah. gets to a point and then there's a there's an explosion because it can't take any more yeah. There's no more room for any more of it. So, you know, uh, that, that's you, you've covered sort of both angles there around that you still need to go through the process, whether it's the, the really intense, like you described, or the smaller things. 
Yeah, and and recognizing that is can be helpful with other people. Like for example, uh, I know it's a generalization that you know women tend to with our kids as they grow up, they tend to they want them to stay young and cute, and they whether they they effectively grieve it or not they there's this loss they feel i think as as kids grow up and so they're always sad that they're not in this stage anymore and that there's whereas i've always been well this is cool now we can do this that we couldn't do before now we can do this that we couldn't do before and yeah um, and i i mean sometimes i look back and i go oh yeah oh those days when they just in my arms and fell asleep on my chest and life was simple and, yeah. <laughs> and fun yeah. and cute but i recognizing that for my wife Instead of just going, okay, whatever, you're just being a woman, <laughs> which is deeply insulting and rude, um, I would, I can go, okay. So for her, there's a there's a sense of loss in that, and so um, it would be better if I would walk in or at least be available to her in that and kind of go, yeah, you miss those days, and and how can we walk walk you through that and help you to be okay with that loss and and celebrate what is now. Uh, so that, that perspective just can really change the way that relationship, um, which yeah. for me as a dad is a huge thing as well, right? I mean, my relationship with my wife is a huge part of parenting. My yeah. kids see that. And so again, talk about grief and loss, this collision. I mean, my wife's brain injury and PTSD just kind of really turned things around. And so now their mother is, like kind of a different person and you know we lost who she was and now we're getting to know who she is and and walking through the healing with her as we go through our own healing so those those losses as well um there's just so much just so many but yeah just all the little the little griefs and the journeys that that we we talk about and and i try to make time and and ask the kids things and i don't want to bring it up and make it an issue but try to be i don't know sometimes yeah there are things that i haven't brought up to the kids like for years i didn't talk about the fact that what might be going on in the back of their minds was holy crap we might have lost our parents we might have been orphans Hmm. I didn't mention that. That was one of the things that went through my head early on, but I'm like, I'm not going to bring that on. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, and then eventually I'm like, when can I bring that? Like, is that an issue for you? You're struggling right now. And is it, anyway, that's a, that's a bit of a, it's a bit of a tight rope to walk, but, um, but yeah, just recognizing the griefs, uh, big and little, uh, and helping each other to process that. Hmm. it's just it really does change a lot of things in life i think yeah absolutely i think just the fact that you've opened the conversation is great because i know if i'd kept going down the trajectory i was going as a parent then that just wouldn't have been the case i would have been continuing with the control and the and the fixing and all those different things and it, it's slightly like opposite of what they want and the opposite of what they need so yeah. like, uh, it's a massive service to them the 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 brain injury it's funny i was working with a well i have with a lady for the last 12 months or probably more like 18 months and she had had a significant brain injury from an accident and 
we've worked through a lot of the different stuff around it, the impacts and the behaviours, and 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 we're not, obviously, like you said, you're not going to get it back to how it was. But the, the lens I always try and come to it is like, yeah, but your body is finding a way to around it, and it's like an upgrade, right? Like there are different things that you're going to come into your awareness that that maybe never would have if you hadn't been through this, and yeah, and and it's like, well, you can look at it any way you want, but why would you not look for the best of it? Because it is what it is. You can't go back and change it. So let's let's find a way to make it better. So I, I imagine oh, you on your journey, that, that would have been part of how you looked at all of it. It's like, well, how can we make the best of this? Yeah, for sure. And, and we did early on, <laughs> as my wife said, oh, how did she put it? Something like, um, well, this was such a, I'm paraphrasing, I guess, but this is just, just a huge thing that God must have something really amazing in store for us because <laughs> yeah. you're learning from it. But you know, I, what you're saying there, I think is, is another layer of, you know, just recognizing, yes, we're, we're looking for the positive and, and what can we gain out of it and what's the good um, and the learning and so on. But I recognized that I couldn't fully embrace the the good and the learning without also grieving the loss yeah and, and letting that go okay okay this is real i've yeah. lost this um and and be okay with that and and sell and then celebrate the new and the good yeah well said <laughs> um you talked before about the the different um ways that you've been expressive and at different times that that hasn't been as maybe um, unrestricted as, as in the past. And you, but you also mentioned before we jumped on a, a moment when, when you were quite young, a, a speech contest that, that didn't go well. Like, is, is that a bit of a pattern for you around like, well, there's, there's, a, there's an inner part of you, like you said, now you just can't wait to speak on a stage. Is there an inner part of you that's ridden a bit of a roller coaster around your self-expression? Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if I look back over my life, it's it, it has been. You know, as I say, when I was quite young, like you know, before I think it was before the age of ten. Um, yeah, I was a very happy-go-lucky, creative, um, fun-loving. You know, if there's anything fun going on, let me in. You're in. You're there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and something. Something triggered a change around the age of 10. Um, I used to get really excited about things. And then when it didn't happen, I was just devastated. Or if it didn't happen, I was devastated. And I didn't like that. It hurt too much. And so I decided I wasn't going to get excited about anything until it happened. And what I did in that process was to shut down my emotions. You can't have only some. For me, I, I found I, it just it muted everything. And so for years after that, I went through this muted state. Uh, I lived in my head, very analytical, judgmental, um, logically creative. But, um, you know, and then went through, you know, a phase where I began to open up again. And uh, when I, as I say, a few years back when I, before I met my wife, started taking some medication on a doctor's suggestion and, um, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then 
soon after we got married with the child and the move and job and everything got overwhelming and everything jumped to the surface and I went depressed. And um, so then I'm struggling to come back again. Um, and I, I don't think I fully got back to really expressing myself until kind of the last few years where, um, where I've been exploring that from a, from a public speaking uh, perspective um, and wanting to get all this stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> stuff yeah. in me that I want to share and yeah. I'm not I'm not arrogant about it I don't think that everybody wants to hear what I have to say but it's almost like I don't care I, I just want to get it out I just want to say it and if yeah. you like it you like it great if you don't you don't okay that's fine um, I mean I do care because as I said earlier like actually I know people will relate to me um, and and that's been one of the key things in in expression is recognizing you know you pick on someone like tony robbins not everybody gets it nope i mean not everybody wants to listen to him yeah uh, i mean he reaches millions of people but um it's it, that doesn't mean that everybody needs to go to him um and so you know there's some people that need my voice my story and yeah. that's cool then i want to share that yeah and I think, well, I think I know that's true for every single person. Like whether you stand on a stage or whether you're just doing it in your close circles, there's there's a part of your story that that people do need to experience, and people do need to hear, and do need to have told, and they and they will get value from it. And and it's the the you know like you said, um, I can't remember the exact words you used, but it. it it is good to get validated for the story you're telling because it's a creative expression and, and we enjoy significance from our creative expressions. So our stories are no different and it does. It feels good to, to, to know that you've impacted someone. Yeah, and a lot of it to me also, the two, two sides of this that, that are developing or have been developing for me, I guess, is one is what we were just saying about, you know, it's valuable to other people, but there's also just um, social media. Interestingly, in the there's a lot of stuff I really don't like about it, but um, but it's uh, it's shown me that weird people are being accepted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I, I mean that sounds judgmental, but. It, I mean, there are people I think like, what you're doing is weird or your voice is strange or your behavior is odd. And yet there are people gravitating towards you and, and enjoying what you're sharing and doing. And, and that's encouraged me to say, you know what? There are people who will appreciate me for who I am. And, and that's a lot of what I've struggled with, right? It's a self image about who I am or who I'm supposed to be. Who is it safe for me to be? Um, and so it's, beginning to be okay with being who I am and, and and learning to accept that there are people who will celebrate that and there are people who will just think I'm a bit odd. Um, and that's going to happen no matter what. Okay, When I had short back and sides hair, it was some people liked it. Some people maybe thought I didn't, you know, my sisters like that. They hate my long hair and my beard. <laughs> Oh, well, 
too bad yeah. for you. I don't, I'm not here to make you happy. I mean, I like you, you're my sisters. We get along yeah. generally, but you know, um, but that's part of it. This thing. Okay. Yeah. Let letting go of, of the self images and the stories around that back to storytelling. Right. And, and yeah. just accepting the truth of who I am writing my own story. Uh, and as one of my good friends talks about, you know, your this is your life is a movie make yourself the lead character why are you playing like some supporting role in your own story yeah um, i love that um we're all weird in some way and yeah. uh i like to think that's the that's the weirdness where we create the greatest connections right so um thank you for sharing your weirdness today i appreciate it oh you haven't uh, seen nothing yet <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um you know, that, that childhood, you know, shutting down a part of your emotions. And that, that was an experience for me as well. And I can, mm. I can clearly remember the day where I'm like, I'm not going to fight this anymore. Like four siblings, like lots of fighting. And whenever I felt like I was unfairly blamed, I just decided, well, well don't argue, just, just whatever comes, just come. I'm like, I, I shut down so much and I would, I would encourage everyone listening to explore where they've, shut down at some point in their life because when you can rediscover that and when you can tap back into that thing that you've been suppressing that's where we get so much learning that's where we we awaken this part of us that is capable of so much more so i really thank you for sharing that part kevin because i it's a it's a really powerful message and as a dad and you're and you're got a podcast legendary dads giving more dads permission to let their children explore that space as well early rather than having to wait like I did for 30 something years before I returned to that space. I think it's such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah. And learning to celebrate, even celebrating the part that so many people will mock and laugh at like women, women tease men. I mean, all my life I've heard, you know, women generally will laugh at men as, Oh, men, they do these things and dad jokes and whatever um and and women often mock in men the very things that they actually value and um and so and not not turning it into a man woman thing necessarily but just recognizing that yeah just your your weirdness is your superpower i think it as you described it a moment ago was was beautiful about you know that piece that you've had hidden and and just learning to let that out and finding a way to be safe or feel secure in that and safe in that and knowing that come what may it's a good thing it, if it's if you're being true to who you are that's a good thing and a powerful thing and as dads we have huge influence on our kids and we can't we we can't make ourselves to be the best dad except by being our our best selves yeah, I mean, my parenting is is so different from yours. I know that, even though we've never even talked about our parenting. But yeah, just the way we do it is going to be so different. But if I'm being the more I'm being authentic and true to myself, and showing my kids the real me, the more they're going to benefit from that. I have yeah. what it takes to be the best dad for my kids. You and give that's them permission. What matters, and you give them permission to be the truest version of them because they take so much more from our behavior than, than they do from the words right yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you said, I just wanted to touch on this briefly. You said there, oh, I don't want to make this a man and woman thing. It's like there, there are differences and, and there are different yeah. roles. And yes, there are some areas and some some particular families where that's not the case. But But in general, this is the way it's been for millennia. And it's okay for us to talk about that. And it's okay for us to talk about the different patterns. I think people get too offended by, oh, we can't say this because it might offend us. Like, no, no, this is like people have experienced this. Like, let's actually make oh, yeah. it normal to talk about it and make it okay. So I, I thank you for, for sharing that. And, and I think it's an area that, that's a, a good, good thing to explore, definitely. Oh, for sure. No, and I, I wasn't trying to hide that, you know, I do think that men and women are different and I think it's good and important. And um, I just, yeah. I wasn't sure we wanted to go down that rabbit hole of <laughs> of discussion, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's important, and that's I mean, it's different for everybody in some regards. But you know, my wife and I are very different, and it's been in a lot of ways it was difficult for us. There has been difficult for us to learn to bring our differences together and to to work them in as strengths uh, yeah. in our parenting and in our relationship. But um, yeah, it's, it is a big thing. And that's something that um, I like to talk about with men too, just recognizing the importance. Yeah. I've been really listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson lately um, and appreciate his perspective on a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so many others. Yes, and of course he offends uh, a lot of people, but there's also so much yep. value to what he talks about, right? Because it's, like he said, we get a room full of men and they all cry because for the first time it's felt okay to, to be who they just naturally are. It's like, how's, how on earth is that a bad thing? He's just trying to bring people's a different interpretation and a way of looking at things than, than what maybe certain other areas want to push. Yeah, and that's... Um, and he's on a very large uh, platform and, and facing some really, uh, in some cases, some very big issues, and that's that's fine. Um, but you know, part of that for me has been, uh, you know, recognizing, um, wanting to challenge, and 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 kind of feeling like you know what, if you're not if you're not taking anybody off, you're probably not saying much of tremendous value. And I, I don't want to pick a fight for the sake of a fight, but yeah. I've always, I've always uh, held back and hidden myself so that I don't offend. You know, like yeah. keep peace, keep calm. It's like, mm -hmm. no, you know what? I'm not going to try to offend anybody. And I, and I have to learn. I still have to learn sometimes to say things. Try to say it in a way that's that's least offensive. I don't want to offend unnecessarily because you can say the same thing four different ways and. Some of them yeah. are going to be helpful and some of them are just going to create a fight. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I want to present, but that's, and that's also what comes with legendary dads. I'm saying, you know what, let's, let's raise the bar. Let's, let's aim high. Let's go for a legend. Let's go for something big and let's learn to fight for that, for our families and for who we are as, as dads and as men and fight for our families. And it, because so many of us, myself, certainly, raised with this idea that it's not okay to fight and any kind of aggression arguing standing up kind of felt like fighting and that was no good uh, whereas now i'm saying you know what no damn it i'm fighting for my family and in our healing process 
fighting with the doctors or the well, we didn't have to fight with our lawyers they were really good but fighting with the insurance company and you know hmm. whatever it is um learning to, to really be clear about who i am what i stand for and where i'm going yeah. and teaching my family to do that too get clear on who are we where are we going why are we doing this and, yes love that um yeah it just brings so much more excitement and i think i don't know if you want to go into this philosophical side of things but it honestly when i look at the world around me and i talk about the things i don't like in facebook sorry not facebook specifically social media hmm. um people are picking fights left right and center they're drawing lines and they're picking fights over the dumbest most trivial <laughs> stuff yep and I, I look at that and i think you know what I bet it's because they don't have any clear purpose and meaning in their life. So they're, they're just grabbing anything to feel like I, I'm taking this stand. I'm on this side. I, it's like, okay, but pick something worth fighting for. Well, yeah. And, and what better to fight for than our own stuff? And we draw back to Jordan Peterson. He was in Australia and he was on one of our programs. I think it was Q and a, and he was talking about like, uh, the uh, like you know bringing more green uh, to the world and and the you know climate change and all this sort of stuff and he talked about he said from his experience people who are most passionate about causes like that it's usually because they haven't got their own house in order and he said yeah. he would encourage people to do that first if, if you if you have spent time and energy getting your own house in order and you're in a place where where you're feeling like you're heading in the right direction there, then by all means. But if it's just a distraction from doing the work on you, of improving you, then it's not going to have the impact that you want it to have anyway because it's coming from the wrong place. Yeah, and that's a beautiful point because that's a lot of what I've been doing over the last few years, right? Getting my own house in order personally. Like, who am I? Who's Kevin Williams as a well, as of today, 55-year-old man, who is this guy? You know, I remember what I was like as a kid and at different stages growing up. Who am I now today? Um, and 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 in my family and this through this healing trauma, healing of the trauma and and everything. It's like, well, okay, who's who am I as you know a leader in my family and as a father and how am I working that and what do I need to do and 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 then I was just thinking about you know the whole thing of grief and how actually. In a way, that's been one of the major motivators for me to step up and start talking and sharing is the, I don't know, maybe not, I don't know if it's grief, but the sorrow and the pain I feel for so many men and women who are struggling. And, and as I've said in, you know, in some of my, in my bio, it's like, I cry for the women and the children who are struggling because the men in their lives just don't get it. They don't know that they actually have what it takes to be the man their wife needs to be the dad that their children need i so desperately want to help these guys because yeah. i've struggled with that and i get it and i and i've seen what i've done to my wife the the pain i've caused her and the struggle to some degree that my kids you know the things they've missed out on because of the times when i was i just stepped back right i went into i went into freeze mode yeah. Um, because I was overwhelmed instead of stepping up and, and doing something about it. So 
I just so much want to help dads and, and men and people in general, really, just to recognize that they can do it. There's a way forward and it can be hell. I mean, when we were during the last few years, there were days, there were years <laughs> where I would I go to bed. I'm just done. I got nothing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it's I'm I've never ever felt the level of fatigue physical emotional mental spiritual fatigue it was uh, just done I'm, i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow i don't even know if i'm going to get out of bed tomorrow i'm just going to sleep because i'm done and you know wake up in the morning and just like i don't know what okay i'll get dressed and i'll go see maybe maybe i'll manage to get the kids to school maybe not maybe we'll eat breakfast and maybe not i don't know but i'll get out of bed i'll get dressed and then I'll, I'll walk downstairs and see what's next and it's it's incredible it's absolutely astonishing what we can do when we are focused on other people i didn't keep going for myself i kept going for my wife and kids i just couldn't let them down as long as i until i had given absolutely everything i could possibly give i was not going to stop trying i mean there were days where i just said guys there's food in the fridge get it if you want it um but i was still there i was still trying and it was it was maybe a day that i would just kind of go i just have to go and sleep because that's all i can do but they knew that i was still there and i kept going and, and was always present and moving forward as best i could it I hope nobody else has to go through that, but yeah. I want, I want to help guys realize that there's a way you have what it takes and you're capable of so much more than you realize if you're willing to just do it for them, we will do so much more for other people than we would ever do for ourselves. And so I have to look after myself and I'm, I'm getting better and better at that, finding the things that energize and give me joy so that I have more to give to my family. Yeah. But in the worst moments, it was, it was entirely for them. I just, I couldn't let them down. I had to give everything. And until I had given my last drop of blood, I wasn't going to stop. And I was amazed at how much blood I had in me. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally, but I mean, it yeah. was just in terms of emotional, mental, energetic energy. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, mate, I, I honour you and celebrate you for, for sharing this message because it is much needed for men. And the other thing I want to touch on is that that's your why, right? We all need to know what our why is. And if it's your kids and your wife and your broader family, great. If it's not, find something that is. Find yeah. something that's outside of you that makes it all worth it because that's what that's what will drive you on on the tough days. It'll, it'll get you up on the tough days. It'll inspire you to do things and... Like you described, you never want anyone else to go through what you went through. And to me, that's where we find purpose, right? That thing that we've been through that we don't want anyone else to go through. Yeah. Man, there's so much in that. Like it yeah. feels amazing to help people and shortcut their life so that they don't have to go through that. So, again, I, I celebrate what you're bringing to the world, Kevin. It's amazing. Thank you. Can I ask just one more question if we've got time? Sure. And, and that, I'm curious about, you mentioned the whole left side of your body was broken. Mm. How much of that is still impacting in you? And, and how did you, 
how did you cope with that that whole the physical recovery <laughs> uh, actually <there's, laughs> well we can go for another half hour on that um the yeah i mean literally uh my left orbital bone below my eye was cracked um my my left elbow was dislocated left um uh ulna or radius i forget which of the forearm bones was broken into three pieces um my i had cracked ribs lung collapsed cracked sternum um most of my leg was actually okay and then my foot was mangled the x-ray looks like some kind of halloween prop (laughs) um so even when i was in a wheelchair i only had my right side to work with so i kept going around in circles (laughs) Um, until i figured that out but um that is like 99 percent healed my foot still gives me some issue um but i can walk and run i just have i still have some pain from it um and uh the the one toe didn't heal straight so it's pushing over but not a big deal as far as that goes but i mean it it was an issue you know what i'm physic i'm optimistic and so when i was stuck in the wheelchair i didn't think i was going to be stuck there forever i expected my bones to heal and we'll get over this and we'll get through it and we'll we'll be better and and sure enough we're we're getting there so but it was a it was an interesting challenge in the house healing from the trauma um because initially my wife was actually in pretty good shape uh, but i was physically incapacitated stuck in a hospital bed in our house and then after a bit i was able to get in the wheelchair and and sort of do move around but not really do anything Hmm. the struggle of that was was significant of hearing my wife struggling to work with the kids and get dinners on the table even though people were bringing dinners her one wrist was broken so she couldn't even pick up the casserole to put on the table Um, and and just being stuck in the bed or in the wheelchair and and not being able to help i mean the tears that i cried in those days Hmm. um could have filled the swimming pool it was and just the frustration Hmm. of that physical incapacity to get up and do something so i i had to adjust and this is one of the things I've talked about before, too, is how recognizing that I couldn't do what I normally and naturally wanted to do physically. So I had to shift and I said, OK, kids, come here, <laughs> come to me, get on the bed with me and we'll have fun with this bed. And, with you know, it folds up and down and, yeah. and they painted my toenails and things. And, <laughs> um, so yeah. it was shifting to do what I could uh, in the time. And, and there was a shift after a few months where i was becoming a little more mobile uh but my wife her brain injury and ptsd started to catch up to her and so she began to fall away and and because of those injuries um and so then i had to start to step up again um and so you know losing her through that process and it it took me a while you know at first it's like you know what hey okay, I, I got to do this, so I'll step up and do it, and this is all good. And then I realized I was starting to resent her. Mm, and, interesting. and at some points, even resenting my kids for what they were not doing. And, and, I thought, well, and after a while, I thought, well, wait a minute. 
I mean, I, I wanted to help out, I, like, you know, do what I can. I've got to support everybody. But again, grief and the, and the loss of her and her support and her role in the family. And, and I hadn't, it took me a while to realize I hadn't processed that really. I just kind of assumed I accepted it. Okay, well, got to do this. And then after a while, I'm like, damn it, this is not who I wanted to be. This is not the kind of data and it's not the relationship I wanted. What the heck? And, um, and so then, yeah, with help from others, um, uh, and, and just my own reflective processes kind of going, Oh, okay. This is a loss. This is something that's changed. I don't get what I had. I don't get what I wanted to have. I have something else and I need to figure out how to embrace that and let go of the, the ideals and the dreams and the hopes and, and the reality even that we had and uh, grieve that loss, cry about it. Uh, fight and kick and scream in my <laughs> in my bed over it, whatever it takes. Uh, yeah. Journal about it, um, and then begin to embrace who I am. And it's still like that. Our life is not uh, yet the way we hope it will become. Um, I, you know, I'm doing a lot of stuff that it's like this isn't the dad and husband and, and man that I wanted to be. This isn't the life that I wanted. And so to some extent, I'm still kind of going, okay, um, but I can. And I have a wife who loves me and I have kids who love me and we're, we're good and we're learning and growing. And um, who knows when all this, who knows when we're done and we're at the new reality for, yeah. you know, from now on. And, but I, again, for the sake of, well, myself and kids, I'm continually going, this is where we are now. And it's an evolving process, right? My wife is healing. Uh, the kids are healing. I'm healing. So we're changing. We keep shifting a little bit. You know, this month, things are feeling a little different. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That wasn't happening last month. It's happening now. So it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to do, you know, all the dinners. Um, sometimes other people are doing dinner. Well, that's nice. So let's celebrate that when it happens instead of um, you just being upset about it. Um, hmm. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a moving target. And so it's interesting, the process of letting go of the reality, even the realities that I don't like <laughs> sometimes yeah. letting go of them bit by bit is actually difficult because it's like, Oh, well, I can't say, okay. Oh, everything's <laughs> changed now. Now you can take that over. <coughs> Excuse me. No, it's like, well, today it's changed and tomorrow it might not be. And so it's this, it's this dance back and forth. Mm -hmm. But isn't that what it's like with our kids anyway, when we're raising kids is they're growing and they're constantly changing. And so, oh, you used to eat this all the time. Now you don't eat it. You used to like playing this game and now you don't like playing it. Or you didn't like that and now you do. So, so that ability to evolve <clears throat> recognize what you're letting go of. If there's a sense of loss in that, absolutely recognize that process it and, and, and then celebrate the new that's coming out of that. Um, yeah, that's so great. It's a challenge. Yeah. The two things I took out of that is that we continue even, even though when we're not where we want to be, well, are we ever? Because there's always something else. So continuing yeah. to move forward. And then you said just being appreciative for what is. And I, again, I think that's such a powerful point because 
that allows us to like, appreciation. You think of the word, it's like a, it's increase. And by pausing and going, okay, well, yes, not everything's perfect, but I'm so happy for this. I'm so appreciative for that. That just allows us to continue to move forward in a, such a, a more positive vein. So thank you for sharing those points. Right. Now, Kevin, I feel like we could probably talk all day. So uh, <laughs> we, we might save that for another conversation. I, I want to thank you again. I appreciate all that you've shared. It's been massive. I appreciate you. Where can people find you? Where can people find the podcast and any other uh, pages or links that you've got? Yeah, thanks. Uh, the The podcast is available on all the platforms, but I would say the probably the central thing would be to go to uh, our website, kevinwillspeak.com w-i-l-l um, kevinwillspeak.com it's uh i mean there you see the links to social media um at you can find a way the broad the broadcast the podcast <laughs> uh episodes are on that site as well um and at kevin will speak of course there's also a coaching tab where you can uh sign up for an opportunity to speak with me uh, complimentary session. So all of that is kind of the central place there at kevinwillspeak.com. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, thank you for being such a, a voice of wisdom today. Oh, thank you, Ian. I really appreciate talking with you. Welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.